Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, it's Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Each year, the OIG adds items to their work plan to deal with emerging issues. To review recent additions to the work plan, I'm joined by Mary Devine, Vice President of Revenue Integrity at Bessler. Mary, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Thanks. So, Mary, I know the OIG updates their work plan regularly. Can you tell us how often that happens and what some of the newest updates are? Absolutely. And I think that's um, an important point to make as we talk about the updates to the OIG work plan. It wasn't until um, just a couple years back that um, the OIG started updating the work plan on a monthly basis. Um, In years past, it was always um, twice a year. But now, every single month, the the plan is reviewed. And there are things, if it's been completed, they're removed off of it and put on archive or um, things are added as um, new things come up and there's a new priority set. So definitely it's updated um, on a monthly basis. And um, for 2022, there were actually 16 items that were added. Certainly I won't go through all 16, but just to mention a few um, that are, I think are very important as we look at some of the um, updates that were made. So the first one I wanted to talk about was the follow-up audit on CMS's use of Medicare data to identify instances of potential abuse or neglect. And a lot of times what the OIG work plan does is it's, it audits what it audited before just to make sure that um, action items were put into place. So there was a prior audit that was done that where they identified um, almost 35,000 Medicare claims that were containing DIAG codes that indicated that uh, Medicare beneficiaries were treated um, for injuries possibly caused by abuse or neglect. So they worked with um, the MACs and CMS to try and get some of uh, corrective action put into place. And so now with this audit, they're following back up there on on that information and they're looking, hey, did providers utilize this information and are they um, contacting authorities the way that they're supposed to be? Another one I wanted to mention is the, the MAC has oversight over the cost report and the MACs are supposed to do desk reviews and they're supposed to do the desk review, accepting, auditing, and settling of the Medicare cost report. Those desk reviews are really designed to determine the accuracy and the completeness at the time the cost report was settled. And so what they're auditing to just determine is if, in fact, those desk reviews really were done appropriately and um, did the providers implement all the recommendations and take corrective action based on the Medicare, uh, the MAC desk reviews. And then finally, just one other item to talk about is the biosimilar trends in Medicare Part B. And that sounds kind of kind of fancy, but the biologic drugs uh, with complex molecules produce, they're produced in the living system and are among the most expensive drugs on the U.S. market today. And there are biosimilar drugs that have no clinically meaningful differences and are a lot less expensive. And the OIG knows that the providers really do not have any strong financial incentives to use less expensive biosimilars. So 
um, what they're doing is they're going to go out and they're going to audit that and see how, um, how many providers were using those more expensive drugs um, when they should have been using the biosimilars. And, you know, more importantly to that, what type of cost gets then pushed down to the beneficiaries? And that's, uh, you know, part of the focus on that. Okay, great recap there, Mary. Um, and of course, we're all hoping that COVID is in the rearview mirror. But are there any new items on the OIG work plan regarding COVID? Yep, there are. Um, certainly not as many that were entered in, in 20 and 21, um, but there were uh, new items that were uh, put on, and there were just, there were just three of them. And uh, most of the COVID items that are either new or that are on um, the OIG work plan, they're all kind of much more focused on the treatment and, and being better versus um, potential overpayments or fraud and abuse. Although there is, there is one that um, I will point out that is a little bit of a, um, looking at, over, at potential overpayments, but most of them are really geared towards the treatment and learning from it and, and mining that data. So um, one of the items that went on was the telehealth services in select federal health care programs, and those, those federal health care programs are really Medicare and, and Medicaid. Um, and we all know that telehealth was ex- critically important as we went through the pandemic. And um, what it really did was ensure access to care while reducing the risk of community spread of the virus. Um, So what they're trying to look for is they're trying to look at how telehealth can best be used and meet the needs of the beneficiaries in the future. So again, this is just data gathering. And then once they have that, they're going to take a look at, um, you know, can we expand that telehealth services and keep it moving? So that was one of the items that was put on. And then um, the next one that they put on was related to nursing home capabilities and collaboration to ensure resident care during emergencies. You know, there was so much um, spread of COVID um, during the pandemic in nursing homes, and they're really trying to make sure that nursing homes have um, the ability to, to deal with those challenges and have the capabilities during an emergency. Again, really focus on the treatment of, of the beneficiaries. And then finally, the last one they put on is, um, again, related to nursing homes. Uh, there was data identified that COVID-19 infections among nursing home residents were higher in nursing homes with lower vaccination coverage among staff. And CMS went out and required um, all staff in nursing homes to be vaccinated. Um, and with, there are certainly exceptions, as, as there are uh, for individuals for certain reasons. Um, but they have to um, report all their uh, vaccination of their staff and um, send that into CMS. And so they're auditing to make sure that that was, that was done appropriately. Okay, and this, those are some of the new items. Are there any items regarding COVID that remain open from from past updates? Yeah, and some of the some of the times it's, it, it stays on the um, the work plan, and they do a little bit of a re- revision to it. And, and as I mentioned, sometimes they go back and they follow up. Well, there were definitely a couple ones, couple ones that have been on there, and then they just revise them a bit. So. The first one I'll, I'll talk about, again, just mentioning a couple of them because there's certainly more than, than what I could ever have time to mention today. Um, the first one is the Office of Medicare Part B Laboratory Services during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And um, the concern was that in looking at data, the number of non-COVID tests really dramatically uh, went down uh, during the pandemic. And there was concern that patients had conditions that needed laboratory work done and needed follow-up and they just weren't getting it. So this audit is following up on that to make sure that um, non-COVID tests are actually being back being administered and patients are receiving the care that they should. Um, and then they're, they're gonna, a little bit, they're going to make sure that there isn't unnecessary COVID testing done, but that's really not the main focus of the audit. It's really focused on the non-COVID testing making sure that, again, that went back to pre-pandemic status. And then just the other one to mention real quick is, again, about uh, the Part B telehealth services. And this is um, just making sure that the telehealth services are doing what they're supposed to do. And um, did any patients requiring services for opioid use disorder or end-stage renal disease, you know, were these telehealth services effective and the patients get what they needed? And so um, they're just doing a phase two and following up on that and making sure that uh, the telehealth services were really effective during, um, you know, the pandemic and moving forward. Okay, makes sense. So beyond uh, the COVID-related items, are there any other audit items that remain open? And um, if so, why do you think they're still there? Sure. So, um, the, the purpose of the of the OIG is to fight fraud and abuse and um, ensure quality for um, health and human services recipients. So, your your Medicare and your Medicaid beneficiaries, and then um, also excellence. So, there's items that remain out on the on the work plan because they they really tackle one of one of these items. A lot of them are are, are towards that fraud and abuse, but there are certainly plenty out there for. Um, either quality or excellence. So the first one that remains out there is, um, for, is you know, certainly from a fraud and abuse perspective. So Medicare D uh, payments during covered Part A SNF days. So patients that are in a SNF bed, uh, Medicare Part A covers everything that goes on there, the medications, everything. And anything that the, that the patient was prescribed while they were staying in the SNF, that is covered by that Part A stay. Um, and what they found through data mining is that patients were going home and Medicare Part D was being billed for the medications that they need for their Part A stay. So what they're going through and they're gonna uh, determine whether Medicare Part D paid for, um, for drugs on this or um, they should have been paid under the Part A. And then you, know, you always have to remember that in, in these scenarios, there is a, a portion of that drug cost being being given to the patient. So they are, again, focusing on that. And then another item that remains on is the, um, again, a little bit of fraud, abuse, and, and potentially even you can consider it some waste. Um, there are duplicate payments made by Medicare and the Department of Veterans Affairs Veterans Community Care Program. The VA allows non-VA providers to provide hospital care and medical services to eligible veterans with non-VA providers. So maybe there's a behavioral health center or there is um, a, a nursing home that isn't a VA uh, facility, but the VA contracts with them to provide services to their patients. So, um, and the patient is eligible for Medicare. So what they're finding is that claims are being billed to both Medicare and the VA program, and the provider is getting um, 
double dipping there. So what they're going to do is they're going, again, data mine with help from the VA um, and pulling the Medicare data and making sure that there are no claims that are, um, that are paid twice. And then I think finally, one that is worth mentioning and is, is not so much of a fraud and abuse, but is certainly um, quality, you know, the focus on quality for the beneficiaries within, uh, for, with um, health and human services. So uh, they're requiring background checks for nursing home employees. Um, and this is required by federal regulation um, in their attempt to uh, protection from abuse and neglect. So they're doing it, they have to do a national background check um, and it was established in 2010. And um, what they're doing is they're going in, they're going to audit to make sure that these background checks were done. And that met, and this is more on, uh, worried about Medicaid beneficiaries and were these uh, beneficiaries adequately safeguarded from caregivers that had um, a criminal history of abuse, neglect, or um, exploitation or, or mistreatment of residents. So that really is focused on uh, quality. That's a great recap. Mary, is there anything else worth mentioning uh, as a final thought? Sure. So, um, you know, just a couple things that are important to, to me and what I do. I always take a look at the work plan and see if there's anything new as it relates to um, the transfer DRG payments. And there, were, there was nothing new, but certainly, it, you know, it's a continued focus. And one of the focuses that they continue to keep on the work plan is um, they're looking at any claim where the, they receive the per diem amount because the patient was discharged early. So you would get um, a per diem payment. And sometimes when they look at that, they're concerned about cost shifting over to Medicaid. So it's both from a policy perspective to make sure that you, you receive the right payment, whether it was an underpayment or an overpayment, and there isn't any um, real attempt by the Medicare program to shift it over to Medicaid. There's an increased focus from the perspective of, and this was on, I think this was added last year, but they, it's continued um, as an item of follow-up and review, and they're pulling more data on it, um, would be the impact of expanding the hospital transfer payment policy for early discharges to um, post-acute care for all discharges. And not right now, I think it's 280 DRGs. So they're now considering it to look at it if it were to impact all DRGs. And again, that is continued from last year, and it's just, it's going to be updated, and there's going to be more analysis with the financial impact. And then the other couple items I wanted to mention, they were um, for Medicare Advantage. And um, there were a couple additions, and uh, I think they're definitely ones worth mentioning as it, we talk about um, the denied claims in Medicare Advantage encounter. And then that's a, that's a gripe of, of all providers and a concern for all providers. And so CMS has begun requiring Medicare Advantage um, organizations to submit records of all services provided to beneficiaries, and that's not new. But now they have to include denial. So any claim that was denied, they have to submit a denial reason to um, CMS. And so the OIG is going in and making sure that there is that proper oversight and they are receiving the denied claim data from the MAOs. And then they will provide corrective action back to CMS to make sure that they get that data from the, um, the Medicare Advantage program. And then finally, 
this is an open item and not new. And it really, there are some reports coming out about it very recently. Actually, one was just issued yesterday. And it's about the inappropriate denial of services and payment in Medicare Advantage. And again, you know, that's a sore spot for, for all providers out there. And to the extent possible, they're trying to determine the reasons for any inappropriate denials and the types of services involved. Um, CMS just doesn't get involved in these denials unless patient care is impacted. But they're beginning to see that these denials are really just um, a slow tactic for the MAs, and they're, and they're seeing if there's any real reason for these claims to be denied or if it's just slowing down. Because um, is it, it, because they, when they look at some of the claims, they see that the Medicare coverage, you know, it met, it met the rules for a stay and, and, the, and the claim should be paid. So I'll be interested to see what happens with that. And that's about it. Well, then certainly that's just the tip of the iceberg, right, Mary? So um, for those in our audience who may be uh, interested in a more extensive discussion around the uh, latest updates to the OIG work plan, uh, Mary is delivering a webinar on that topic. So you might be able to catch that live. If not, head up on up to Bessler.com and there will be a recording of it uh, right there on our blog. Mary, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Thank you. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.